Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen. The Lord is risen. Hallelujah. Think about what you just said. Your profession of faith, the Lord is risen indeed, says that you do not doubt that Jesus, Son of God, both human and divine, lived, was crucified, died, and rose from the dead. Or are you just saying words that you've learned over the years and you do not have that true meaning in your life? Have you doubt like Thomas that Jesus rose from the dead? Or you, do you truly believe that he did? The definition of faith given by the author of the epistle to the Hebrews found in Hebrews 11.1 1, carries a particular weight with Christians who respect the Bible. There the author writes, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's from the King James Version. And from the International Standard Version, it reads, Now faith is the assurance that what we hope for will come about and the certainty that what we cannot see exists. In Christianity, faith is, causes change as it seeks a greater understanding of God. Faith is not just a simple obedience or lip service to a set of rules or statements. Before Christians have faith, they must understand in whom and in what they have faith. Without understanding, there cannot be true faith. And that understanding is built on the foundation of the community of believers, the Scriptures, and traditions and the personal experiences of the believer. In English translations of the New Testament, the word faith generally corresponds to the Greek noun pistis, meaning to trust, to have confidence, faithfulness, to be reliable, to assure. So why did Thomas not believe that Christ had risen from the dead when the other disciples told him of their encounter? And why did Thomas, upon Jesus entering the room, not need to see the mark of the nails on his hand or put his finger on the mark or his hand on the side as he hung on the cross, but immediately said, My Lord and my God, the best part of this gospel reading is the wisdom that Jesus imparts, not only to his disciples at this moment, but to all of us who are called Christians, shared by the word, blessed are those who have not seen, but yet have come to believe. We in the 21st century have physically not seen Jesus as the disciples did, but just as the disciples, we do believe in Christ and His resurrection. This is the basis of our faith. 
the words in this gospel throughout all the New Testament were written so that we may come not only to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, but to learn of his teachings, the miracles that he performed, and the life that God wants for us. Through that believing, we may have everlasting life in his name. Sometimes I wonder and smile at God's creativity. Perhaps this gospel event and the doubt that God planted in Thomas was so that we could have the phrase, Doubting Thomas. We all know what it means when somebody's called a doubting Thomas without any explanation necessary. And for the young people in the crowd who may not know that, doubting Thomas is a skeptic who refuses to believe without direct personal experience. And if you are from Missouri, you understand this. (laughs) Thomas the disciple is only mentioned eight times in the New Testament. But while the Bible tells us little about him, Thomas's cautious approach to believing in the resurrection laid the foundation for evidence-based faith for the Protestant teaching of sole fide, or faith alone. Even though he lived 2,000 years ago, Thomas also serves as a symbol of contrast for Christians today. Those who don't believe until they see and those who have not seen and yet have believed. Today's gospel is really all about uh, the heart of our faith, about who we are and who God is. It's about what we can and can't do. For with God, all things are possible. Each of us has had and still have and will have doubts and fears and anxiety and all that stuff about our daily lives. It's like we are closed and behind, we were behind closed and locked doors at times, just as the disciples were afraid after Jesus' crucifixion. So are we afraid of the unknown and those who appear to be greater than we are. The door is what it looks like when we've made it. Those locked doors keep us inside and limited and away from the most that we can be. We all have our personal locks, something like fear and doubt and anger and resentment, like our own personal history, our own wounds, our own self-righteousness and pride, and of course, our own sin. In many ways, this is the natural human condition. We are all like this, part of what it means to be a human being, to be a person in the world is to live behind closed and locked doors. Sometimes it's because it's what we want, sometimes it's in spite of what we want, and sometimes it's even there though we desperately for ourselves and other lives want it to be different. We alienate ourselves, being separated in fundamental ways from the natural world, from each other, and from God. Easter is about the fact that God comes through the locked doors and offers us himself and his peace. 
He gives us his love and he offers us the possibility of faith and of new life. And it's all a gift slid under our locked doors. In the gospel story after the crucifixion, the disciples don't do anything noble, heroic, or mildly admirable. Remember the last things they showed Jesus were their backs as they ran away. The last thing we heard from Peter was his denying three times that he even knew Jesus. After that, the disciples just hid out. And that's all they did. They were afraid. But Jesus comes through those locked doors and he offers them peace. Then a week later, Jesus again appeared to the disciples. And notice what they've done that week. They've kept their doors locked and they have failed even to convert, convert Thomas. The testimony of the entire church wasn't enough or compelling enough to convince one guy who really wants to believe. This gospel story is really about unpersuasive disciples. And then once more the Lord comes to them. Once more he comes without conditions, without demands, without blame, and without resentment. Even though their doors are locked, even though they haven't done a single thing worth writing home about, even though by low Sunday they haven't added a single convert, still the Lord comes to them. And like God over the form of Abraham in Genesis, continues to breathe His Spirit into them and to make new life possible for them. The disciples did, and we do, the very best to be closed off, secure and unreachable. But a way is found, a completely unexpected and unmerited gift is given. The disciples and us get a sign of love from beyond all the locks and bars to fear ourselves from our own bonds of fear and all the other feelings to pursue the gifts God has always had for each of us. So the advice that I use for myself most of the time, live life as a disciple of Jesus, walking without fear. Love God in the morning, love God in the evening, love God as the sun sets, love and praise God all the time. And I'm going to close with the last chorus of a gospel song I heard yesterday driving home. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving me thy great salvation so rich and free. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. <laughs>